The world as we know it continues to evolve and change into something that we can only hope to understand. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate on a daily basis. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today we sit down with Wendy Baker and Dan Capobres of Harmony Park, a Bay Area-based development company focused on creating thriving, mixed-use communities. Don and Wendy started Harmony after collaborating for years on Grosvenor's North 40 development in Los Gatos, California. Don, then an executive with Grosvenor, and Wendy, who worked for Summerhill Homes, decided to take the plunge and form Harmony, which today continues their effort in Los Gatos and elsewhere across the region. Welcome, Don and Wendy. Wendy, Don, good afternoon. How are you guys? Great, Vlad. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Where do we find you today? Where Where are you physically located? I'm in uh, Saratoga, California in my home office. Okay. And I've been under quarantine here in Michigan since March. I haven't been back to California since then. Okay. Well, uh, Michigan is a nice place in the summer. They're a worse place to be stuck, I think, right? Uh, during during these months. Yeah. Uh, well, well, thank you both for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, you know, by way of introduction, would you mind telling us a little bit about uh, your company, yourselves, sort of your background and how uh, Harmony became what it is? Sure. Uh, so my name is Don Capobres and I'm a principal at Harmony Park. And Harmony Park is a real estate development company that was started in April of 2016. And the concept of um, the new company really came about while I was uh, an employee at Grosvenor Americas. And we had just completed the um, approval process for a project in Los Gatos referred to as the North 40. Um, And at that time, we had spent probably about six or seven years already on the project and Grosvenor needed a special team to implement the project after the entitlements were secured and kind of over some time we concluded that it would be a good idea for for me to come back from Washington DC where I was stationed with Grosvenor at the time and um, and implement the project uh, as a new company, as a, as my own company, and I called that Harmony Park. And so Harmony Park was really initially conceived to implement the first phase of the North 40 project in Los Gatos. Wendy Baker, who you're going to hear from in a second, uh, joined me a year later. Prior to starting Harmony Park, both Wendy and I were really effectively the faces of the North 40 project. And so I knew I didn't want to have a company on my own. I had worked with Wendy for probably by that time over a decade. We just had a really good relationship, um, a lot of trust. Uh, we had a skill set that I thought was really compatible. And I was fortunate that Wendy joined me a year later. And so together, the goal for the company was to 
take advantage of what we believe is a really strong skill set in entitlements, um, working for previously for two major organizations in Grosvenor and in Summerhill Homes, yeah. um, and apply that expertise into and maybe redefine how development gets done in Silicon Valley. And so the North 40 is the start of that, and we continue to work on the North 40, but it also gave us the opportunity to work on other projects as well. Yeah, so uh, I sort of started off in Silicon Valley at a civil engineering firm, um, Charles W. Davidson, which now actually is uh, is the engineering department at San Jose State. Um, it's also where I went to graduate school. And I moved to Silicon Valley in uh, 1998 um, after um, undergraduate school and uh, started very shortly thereafter working at a civil engineering uh, company called Charles W. Davidson here in the South Bay. And uh, at that time, went to grad school. At that point, um, I stayed in sort of the civil engineering slash planning realm for quite some time before um, ultimately moving over to Summerhill Homes, where I spent over a decade um, uh, there overseeing sort of the South significant and controversial projects. Um, and obviously, Summerhill was a primarily residential model. Um, and so I had a, a, a good deal of experience in everything from uh, multifamily for sale and for rent to uh, large estate homes with some mixed use components, but not uh, sizable based on their business model. So when the opportunity uh, arose to shift over into our own business, it was something that Don and I had actually talked about for a while before Don had the chance to uh, adjust and move from Grosvenor and start Harmony Park. And so I thought it was a great opportunity to be able to explore different things that I had been able to explore, but also implement the expertise that we both already had. Um, and we really saw this great opportunity for Harmony Park to, uh, and, and our vision in creating thriving mixed-use communities in high barrier to entry and emerging secondary and urban markets and really put our stamp on those markets. And Again, as Don mentioned, um, our expertise allows us to manage all the aspects of the development process, and that's from acquisition to partnership structuring to entitlements and design and construction coordination and leasing strategies. So, so from start to finish on a number of asset classes, and uh, it, was, it was even more fun to be able to do that with somebody that I inherently trusted and knew that uh, we would always have each other's backs and be able to move a business forward successfully with those those pillars that are just so critical i think sure sure and and just uh, just for the benefit of our audience could could you give us an overview of uh of the project in los gatos and what what it is sure um so initially when i think where don and i started working as business partners uh when he was at grosvenor and i was at summerhill we had worked together actually previously again, when I was at a civil engineering firm on some other projects, and he was in his previous life at Shea Homes. But we started working on North, the North 40. Don started working on it in, I think, 2007, excuse me, 2007. And it, it went through a general plan amendment. Um, it's 40-acre piece of property in Los Gatos, um, owned by the Yuki family, a long-term uh, long property holder in uh, Los Gatos. And uh, he had the entire, uh, a good portion, I should say, of the, uh, Grosvenor had the, a large portion of that um, 
under uh, acquisition. And at the time, it sort of, again, things changed over time and, and there was a, a slightly less dense um, component to the project. And uh, Don knew about uh, Summerhill, knew Summerhill well, knew I was over uh, Summerhill to um, partner um, on the project with Grosvenor for the lower density component of the North 40. And so we worked on that project. It was for the first phase, um, about uh, 20 acres of land from the time I started on the project in about 2012 until it was uh, approved in 2016. And here it is 2020. And I'll, I'm no longer at Summerhill, but uh, obviously, but they are now implementing the first phase of the residential component. And actually Harmony Park has the um, commercial component of the first phase of development that we are developing. So we remain um, you know, separate developers, but on the same project that uh, Don and I entitled, you know, over, I guess, four years ago, years just ago. did right. finish the discretionary entitlements. Yeah. Right, right. So what's it like developing a commercial product now? Obviously, COVID hits and, you know, we were literally in term sheet lease negotiations with restaurants when lockdown happened. Yeah. Um, and so that obviously that's a major impact on us. So for for the retail portion of the North 40 you know, we're fortunate to have a really patient capital partner that afforded us the ability to make the decision to put the project on hold. And right now we're thinking, you know, we're on hold until at least first quarter of 2021, um, at which time we'll kind of evaluate where we're at and with COVID, hopefully, you know, with some hope in front of us. And um, it, it is challenging. Thank goodness we weren't under construction. Uh, we were just about to submit for building permit. Yeah. And so, you know, that saved us. But obviously, pretty difficult to be in a in the middle of a retail um, development at this point in time. So while we did have to shut the project down temporarily um, in Los Gatos, the first phase retail, you know, a positive thing to take out of it is that from a lending perspective, um, our lender, who's a small um, community bank in Silicon Valley, has remained very interested in the project, um, largely because of the location, you know, in West Silicon Valley and, and, and in Los Gatos in particular. But, you know, specifically because we are over 60% food and beverage focused, including, you know, if you include the square footage for Market Hall. And so even though they understood the reason for us putting it on hold, you know, the support and that interest has remained robust, um, you know, throughout this entire time period. And I think that's a positive thing to take away. Yeah. And and that sort of begs the question, because, um, you know, given that there will be a new normal at some point, what how does the city, you know, work with you on that? And and are you guys contemplating, you know, maybe changing some of the design because of that? Um, maybe it's too early, but but I'm curious, sort of, kind of where you guys are in the thought process of 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 that. Yeah, no, it's a good question. You know, we have had internal conversations about, you know, we have time. Um, like I said, we have a patient capital partner. Uh, we have time. Is there anything that we wanted to reconsider from? you know, a design perspective. And, and the honest answer is we, we're we not really making any changes. A lot of the things that I believe will impact retail 
you know, food and beverage in particular, are things that were already happening prior to COVID. Uh, and we are already having those conversations about having to, you know, be sensitive yeah. to those uh, items. And just by way of example, you know, facilitating how Uber Eats, DoorDash, um, you know, maybe a, a COVID-19 uh, addition to that thread is curbside. Um, how to facilitate that, you know, with the flow of cars in a suburban setting where we didn't want to emphasize cars. We were already working with our food and beverage partners on looking at models that were less dependent, unfortunately, on on labor. Uh, and so looking for ways of serving the public without kind of more full-time labor staff. And that's just was a result of the as a result of the cost of housing in the Bay Area. It's so expensive. And we're already talking about a flight to a more experiential uh, retail offering. Right. So all of the like Market Hall is the anchor of the retail program on the North 40. You know, so we're already talking about how to make it um, special for someone to come to, you know, not just a food court, you know, how to how to include elements into the design that made it um, unique. And so after thinking about, you know, things that we might want to change, maybe we want to open the market hall up to create more air. Well, we already had, you know, we were already having those conversations um, to celebrate the indoor and outdoor space. And so it's just really interesting, Vlad, down that question is we ended up saying, well, we should just kind of continue down the line that we were already thinking and, and really kind of stress it even more. But we haven't made any physical changes to our thoughts when we resume kind of the design process uh, in early 2021. Right. And what are some of your other projects you have in the pipeline? Yeah, well, in addition to sponsoring our own developments, we also do have um, a pretty uh, ample amount of client services uh, that we are providing. We have several long-term projects, which include uh, Kylie, uh, which is called Mission Point in Santa Clara. Yep. And that, as you know, and listeners probably know, is the original mixed-use application was for over 10 million square feet of mixed of development. That ha- was submitted uh, a couple of years ago, but it's currently being revised based on feedback not only from the community, uh, but also from the FAA, um, because there were quite a few high rises on that property, and the FAA did weigh in on the compatibility with high rises and their their radar program. So that is being revised, but it remains a mixed use plan. And uh, we continue to advise Kylie on that project. We're also working with another developer, um, Lowe, uh, on Sequoia Station in Redwood City. That project is part of a significant transit district revisioning in downtown Redwood City, and it includes office, housing, and ground floor retail, essentially a replacement of the retail and and talk about reimagining retail. That center was built in the late 1980s. And so it'd be sort of modernizing and uh, relocating a number of the retail tenants that are already in that property into new spaces. And then we are also working now on the next phase of North 40 with Grosvenor. That next portion of development is still within the specific plan. And it's absolutely in the early phases of consideration for development. Um, No site plans have been done. We're just really gathering information and sort of trying to see where things are at 
today versus where they were at uh, almost four years ago, even since the specific plan was adopted. So uh, those are three pretty significant long-term projects that we also are working on. Yeah, and and out of those, Wendy, the one that that you mentioned in Redwood City is sort of interesting to me because I think you know in the last cycle, and you know I would I would suspect you guys would agree, but Redwood City has really sort of come into its own, and part of it is this movement throughout the Bay Area that some of these smaller towns around the region have really grown their downtown areas and made them these, you know, dynamic centers for the for the, you know, surrounding geography, if you will. Do you see that kind of continuing to to evolve in, in, in other parts of the of the Bay Area? Yeah, and it's actually consistent with what Don and I always went into, you know, our goals for Harmony Park were to focus on some of those types of markets. I- Redwood City is certainly not emerging, but it's um, not San Francisco, Oakland, or San Jose. What it does have is an awesome downtown. It has a diverse population. It has, um, it's actually the county seat, right? So you have a really interesting mix of jobs there. And then you also actually have a Caltrain station that's right in the downtown area. So, you know, this project is fairly transformative or could be very transformative for Redwood City. Um, It's a great city to do business in. And it's also... It's very much, I wouldn't say evolving, but Redwood City is is a premier city, you know, for businesses because it's located right in between San Francisco and San Jose. So you can really, your employment pool is very, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, people can get to it pretty easily, particularly with the Caltrain stop. So there's also, they've been very progressive in how they have been managing the need for housing in Redwood City. So it's, it's been enjoyable to work up there, get back on the peninsula and those sorts of projects, again, in, in these sorts of cities like Redwood City or um, Santa Clara, these are great cities uh, as far as the opportunities for all of the asset classes that uh, we we like to construct. Right. And, and and the reason I'm asking that, and I would love to hear your your you know, both of your perspective on this, but there's certainly been kind of a movement towards you know, considering this sort of hub and spoke as the future of, you know, office development, right? So the, you know, corporate headquarters might be in one area, but not necessarily everyone that works at the company will go there on a regular basis, right? They might work in satellite offices around around the region. And and I'm and I'm sort of wondering as as that evolves, right? And if that becomes a strategy for some of these bigger technology and enterprises, you know, do we start seeing other smaller cities like Redwood City gain momentum because of that, right? Now, you know, Google might have, you know, 10 different offices, as an example, around around the region. Right. And Redwood City already had really great momentum. Everything we heard in talking to their economic development director is that, you know, both from a desire to live there and a desire to work there and a desire to play there, people really enjoy being there. Um, great weather, right? Again, still a, a comfortable downtown and so there, there could have, there could be a lot more development in Redwood City, uh, and the need would still be greater than the amount that's being developed. That will like, I mean, from our perspective, I think that's why we've always focused on cities like that is because uh, the opportunity is certainly there with COVID. You've seen some of. We we're just talking about this on an earlier call today. You've seen, you know, some of the suburbs in the Bay Area, you know. People are even more interested in living there um, because maybe they want to be closer to other services for a variety of reasons. So we definitely see that this continues to be an attractive option. 
but I think it was an attractive option before because there's a lot of really great little downtowns all over the Bay Area uh, that are very walkable, very bikeable, very community centric. And uh, people, I think, get very attracted to those. And when you have the opportunity, you know, in a, in a COVID environment where you can still go out, you can have that outdoor dining and so forth and, and be a part of that, I think it's it just remains very uh, attractive to employers to residents and to, to retailers. Sure. And I think that's the key point. I think job center jobs companies still want to be in an in a in an urbane environment. But urbane doesn't have to be in downtown San Francisco. We all love the city or Oakland. Um, you can have kind of a, a cosmopolitan experience, we believe, um, in some of the, the tertiary cities, kind of secondary markets you know, and, and out in the suburbs as well. Yeah, right. I want to change a little bit um, and talk a little bit about the industry overall. So I want to get your perspective on on sort of as, you know, developers, how you guys are perceiving what is happening in the industry, right? And and what are some things that are surprising you, both from a negative and a positive point of view? Some things that we're looking at, um, you know, we already talked about some of the impacts out of COVID and, and, and looking at potential physical changes, to retail development, thinking about this a lot. I think one, the margin for error is smaller um, and will continue to be so going out. Developers need to be smart. Folks who are in this um, as a hobby, and I I, don't have a really good way of describing that, but professionals will shine. If if you're in this just to be a casual investor developer, um, I think it'll be challenging. I think there's gonna be a more continued premium on quality, quality of sites, location, location, location. Yeah. It, it hasn't changed, but it, it's going to become even more important. Quality of tenants. And that means maybe credit tenants aren't aren't the, the holy grail anymore. Again, providing that experience to the end users. And then quality of partners. You know, in our case, we're fortunate that our partners on the capital side, partners on the client side are, are patient and um, have a long-term outlook on things and and so can do things the right way, whether it be through the entitlement process, working with communities in a collaborative way, being patient with kind of tenant mix and those types of things. And then the third thing I could think of is um, supply chain kind of just all across the board, like from F&B, um, you know, where food is sourced from or ingredients are sourced from to kind of the current lumber shortage that we're facing as an industry, which we hope is only short term, you know, but being able to, sort, you know, your supply chain is really critical. So those are the kind of things that we've been kind of looking at as as the industry evolves and and I think will come out stronger as a result of this. I would only echo what uh, Don has said, but, you know, during this is a little bit different than the Great Recession. I mean, we've all we all lived through the Great Recession as well, and we sort of um, talked about uh, we talk amongst ourselves about how you know we we really tried to position our company to be as recession proof as possible, but no one anticipated a pandemic, right? That's something that is very hard to position your company to be resilient towards. So, I think that what we saw during the Great Recession was. A sharpening, all the things that Don talked about, you know, sharpening of pencils, like really taking the time to understand you couldn't just do things, uh, you couldn't just tie up pieces of land uh, at whim and not really understand the underwriting and the viability for moving forward because every dollar invested that your company invested in that property 
was a dollar that they were not investing yeah. elsewhere. So I think that we will certainly, that is going to be the case. And it's going to really, again, make the premium places uh, shine. It's going to have the most, th- those, again, with some experience and uh, that have kind of gone through this before. I think it, it will definitely create a, a, a more resilient, um, but also a more uh, educated uh, development community. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of folks that haven't gone through something in this latest uptick and and the positive economy that we've had. Right. That now we have to really, you can't make mistakes. You can't be rescued by sales prices that suddenly, you know, <laughs> keep increasing or rents that keep increasing. You have to really uh, predict, you know, be able to predict and be nimble um, and make adjustments. Yeah. So time of disruption like this is also, I think, a, a time of opportunity. You know, how do you guys prepare your, you know, new fresh firm um, as you look into, you know, the next cycle and the cycle after that? Um, I'll take a shot at that. You know, so the advisory side of our work, the mission points in Santa Clara, uh, Sequoia Station in Redwood City. Um, continuing to work on North 40. Those are big name projects for us. And it's made us, the two of us, and you know, we've got um, Greg Shank, who's our director of construction as well, kind of relevant in the industry, which is amazing to me in, you know, in a market that has such giant players. And so we've continued to work on those projects even during this pandemic because our clients trust us, because Um, These are big entitlement projects that have a long runway ahead of them. And so I think we need to be able to leverage that reputation into generating more interest in investors into Harmony Park uh, so that we can unlock our skills as a, you know, as a development sponsor. At the end of the day, Wendy and I want to be development sponsors. Uh, We love the advisory work, but, you know, we want to be in control 100%. If groups like Grosvenor or Low Enterprise or Kylie trust us with their investment in projects, you know, we really need to tap into the into that investor that will invest in us directly. And so I think that's where we, you know, have to take opportunities of our ability to continue to work on these projects during this really tough time for a lot of people. Yeah, and I have a I have a question about that because you know what struck me over the last decade or so is that you know I'm I'm seeing less and less of kind of you know local development companies you know play a bigger role in things like you know things like you are describing and the three companies that you just that you just mentioned you know one is you know based in you know mainland China one is you know 340 year old London com- company right. Um, Low is is down in you know Southern California and it's sort of a, you know national kind of you know player. Do, do you see the landscape of the development partners changing also and transferring more towards sort of the kind of institutional you know large kind of mega developers? I think that these deals, especially the ones like like we just mentioned, are so complex and that and they are so. the requirement of investment is so great at a very risky period in, you know, the pro the, the real estate life cycle that I do believe that, you know, firms like Grosvenor firms like Kylie, you know, low for all intention purposes as a family office, those firms that have a long-term outlook, I think we're going to have to, we're going to see more of those because, you know, traditional IRR, metric does not work uh, frankly in some of these asset classes that 
are, you know, that need to be built. Multifamily in Silicon Valley has had a rough time penciling um, over the last few years, yeah. but are, it is firms like, you know, that it is firm, it are, you know, it's firms that have a long-term outlook that, that can make these work. Um, and, and, and as the RENA numbers, the regional housing need assessment numbers continue to come out over the next few months, and it's apparent that the Bay Area is, you know, over looking at another potentially half a, um, a million residential units in its um, next regional housing needs cycle, you know, we need to make housing work. And so I think you, you will see these firms kind of stepping up. It creates a great opportunity for Harmony Park because the communities that we're working in want grassroots outreach. Yeah. They want you know, they don't want slick. They want to be able to meet you in a living room or a coffee shop or, a, you know, or an HOA meeting facility, which is what smaller firms like ours do. I'm not saying the big firms don't do it, but um, it does create an opportunity for us to work with some of these bigger firms um, because we believe very strongly that community outreach is vital and to be successful in it, you have to be accessible and you have to, and it has to be grassroots, you know? So I, I, I do think there's going to be a move to, to those firms that have a longer term outreach yeah. or outlook. Yeah. Interesting. Um, along with that being one of the, one of the trends, if, if you will, what are some other things that you guys are observing that you think will be pillars of, uh, of the next cycle, if you will? I think, one thing that we're looking at on all, and we've always done this, but it's even more critical now is, is how the public spaces in your projects. Well, first of all, ensuring that you have public spaces, you know, that turn your back to the, to the neighborhood that was, you know, out of style years ago, but oftentimes it's still been being implemented. So how we create a much more open and accessible public realm. Uh, I think that creating sort of that equal experience for everyone um, within those spaces is really important and, and ensuring that the community feels ownership over those spaces and that it's not seen as as more of a you visiting someplace. Instead, it's seen as, you know, you being a part of something. Yeah. So I will say that that's something that we have always believed in. And I think that's going to become even more critical as we move forward. And you do see that expectation for that um, increasing uh, and from the community members. Uh, again, if you're going to be in the community, you know, what is it? We're not just talking about community benefits anymore. That's something that we've talked about forever. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, being a part of something and, and engaging in that way. So I think that, you know, going forward, that's going to continue to be really critical for the success. It may not be, um, you know, the the big ticket item that ultimately pays for development, but if it attracts people there and it really makes your development stand out and, and gets you yeah. tenants, um, then it absolutely um, pays for itself, you know, many times over. Yeah, makes sense. Don, any thoughts from you on some trends? I think I already touched on, um, you know, just this flight to quality and and just the need to be smart and have, you know, maybe take advantage of if you do have some downtime to really focus on your infrastructure um, and making sure you have systems in place so that, um, you know, when things come back again and, 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 you know, frankly, we're not, we don't have any downtime, but just making sure that you're making smart decisions down the line. Because like I said, 
the margin for error, I think, is is just getting even smaller. Yeah. Throughout the news cycle over the last, you know, six months, eight months or so, there's been a lot of, you know, negative stuff written and the impact of COVID and the pandemic, not just on the economy, but on, you know, a broad swath of industry as well. I want to turn it towards a positive aspect. And if you can kind of look at, you know, what good is going to come out of this, what what would you guys say that would be? You know, the, the pandemic's going to end. We know that. I, as we talked about at the beginning of the talk here, I'm, I happen to be in, in the Midwest. I happen to be in in Michigan, which thankfully has had lower cases kind of lately. We had a hard time early on, but things have opened up a little bit more here than they have um, in other parts of the country without kind of the negative uh, or acceleration of the spread yet. Knock on wood, I hope we all continue to, to do the right thing and wear masks. But from where I sit, and, and what I'm observing is that people are going to come back and maybe even appreciate, you know, the ability to enjoy a good meal um, more than they did before or have a drink with a friend. You know, the restaurants that have the opportunity to open here are and safely um, with more outdoor space are packed and people are, I, I think we know that we're social and we need that social interaction. And and when we come out of this, I just think it's, you know, we're not going to take that for granted ever again. And so going back to what Wendy said, how, how do we, de- how we design open space and public realm, how we work with our restaurant and retail partners, you know, will, will be very important, but I, it's going to come back. Um, <laughs> and I think it'll come back pretty strong. Yeah. And think about this. I mean, we were already talking about 2020 or 2019 sort of being this year of disruption You know, disruptions being talked about all over our industry. And certainly there's been no bigger disruptor than this. It's it it is hitting every single element of our lives. Every way we've designed things is under scrutiny from our schools to our healthcare to our offices. So I think that the physical design, you know, everything again, from your from ventilation systems, all these things, there's there's great opportunity where there is are these challenges. There's opportunity to look at things differently, that ways that we never would have approached them before. Uh, we're already going towards, you know, uh, reach codes and making sure that we were designing things appropriately for the environment long term. Now we have to think about designing it also for the human for long term. And so there's a lot of opportunity when and, and when something is this disruptive and you have to start thinking a little bit bigger and um, and uh, see if there's new people that are bringing different voices that we haven't heard uh, to the table that we have seen at every council meeting. You know, now we're on Zoom council meetings and the difference, the difference in voices at these council meetings is something that we feel like is a very, very positive thing that's coming from COVID. Now, suddenly people that never were able to participate for, and they might've been voices that we all really needed to hear because they're, they're members, you know, the community that were not able to participate because they were so busy or they had childcare challenges. And now they can sit there on a Zoom meeting, multitask. When it gets to their moment to speak, they can speak their piece and everyone can hear them. Um, And it's a very different setup than what we've traditionally had um, at these sorts of meetings. And it it enables, again, it enables disruption and enables opportunities. It's it's actually, it's been pretty um, awesome to see. Great, great. Wendy, Don, 
Stay safe. Thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thank you.